On today's episode of The Masked Man Show, we're going to discuss this great article on Cody Rhodes by today's guest, Mike Pellucci, uh, that all of you humanoids need to read. We're going to talk about Sunday's Fastlane card, plus a few predictions from very special guests, Hollywood, Dan St. Germain. And as always, we are part of the Ringer Podcast Network, where you can listen to my other show, The Press Box, on the Channel 33 feed, uh, where this week Brian Curtis and I talked about the Oscars, America's greatest babyface, Hope Hicks, and the FBI versus the University of Arizona by way of ESPN, one of the great feuds in, uh, in America right now. And if you're college basketball fans, I highly suggest you checking out our podcast with a clever name, One Shining Podcast with Mark Titus and Tate Frazier that'll get you ready to fill out your NCAA brackets. And be sure to check out TheRinger.com. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, Peckerheads, it's me, Peter Rosenberg, the most mage mage caster of them all. Hey, this is Bruce Pritchard. This is Rose Battle Season 1 champion, Mike Long. This is Scott Lasting. This is Trey Kirby. This is your girl, WWE superstar, the legit boss, Sasha Banks. Hey, this is WWE superstar, Braun Strowman. My name's Kevin Owens. I'm Shinsuke Nakamura. I'm AJ Styles, the phenomenal one, if you will, and you're listening to the Daniel you're listening you're to. You're listening to. You are listening to. You're listening to. You're listening, you're listening, you're listening, you're listening to the Masked Man Show. Masked Man Show. Masked Man Show. Welcome to the Masked Man Show. I'm David Shoemaker. To my left. It's so weird to be on your left instead of your right. It is. Do you want to change seats? Maybe later. Can we switch? Is no, it cool? it's totally fine. You know, it's your show. If it's you guys it's want... not my show. Now this show. just got so confusing. Dave Schilling <laughs> is the person who was talking first. That's right. Everybody knows you. You know that. And then our special guest this week, uh, to my right, is Mike Pellucci, author of uh, Dust to Dust, The Profile of Cody Rhodes, and... Uh, his father, Dusty Rhodes, that The Ringer just published on um, Tuesday at the crack of dawn. Yeah, Monday, yeah. Monday at Monday midnight. Monday at night, West Coast Anyway, time. this all week's... All you need to know is it's on the website. It, it is. is. It is. And it's all over the, my Twitter account and, and Mike's too. Um, this was a... a you, you came to me uh, as a freelancer pitching this piece. Um, and I was telling you on the walk over here... Uh, Schilling, I know you're familiar with this too, but like as soon as, basically as soon as Grantland came into existence, every freelancer who had ever watched a minute of wrestling had a wrestling feature they wanted to pitch. And so, and some of these have been, I mean, a lot of these have been truly fantastic. And I am not at all territorial about the wrestling writing world. I like, I want to see good wrestling stuff out there. But you get pitches and especially with the wrestling stuff, I, I'm immediately skeptical because you just don't know. It's really hard to strike that balance of writing a piece that a mass audience is going to be into, but like the hardcore wrestling fans are not going to be dismissive of, you know? Um, and so I was into this piece. It's also hard, even with someone as famous as Cody Rhodes, it's also hard to like find that perfect, that sweet spot for, a, you know, a figure that, that it's hard to get an attention for anybody that exists outside of WWE. Uh, but then when I read Mike's piece, I was like, God, this is this is a real thing. This is real writing. This is not just wrestling. It was a really, really fantastic piece. I'm so happy that I can, you know, that I'm on record as the editor of this piece. But 
I, you know, I did a little bit of shepherding. This, this was all Mike's hard work, and it was really fantastic. But anyway, long way of saying welcome to the Mask Man Show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for editing it. Thank you for, uh, you know, giving it a home. Um, I'm, I'm happy to have it. Um, so anyway, Cody Rhodes has uh, a guy we haven't talked about a ton. He comes up when we talk when we talk about New Japan a lot. When um, I make you talk about New Japan, listen, man, I'm a huge Cody. Uh, fan. I mean, just as like, I remember the first time I covered a WrestleMania for Grantland, maybe the first or second time, he was the first wrestler who ever remembered me a day after I interviewed him and just like, like waved at me from across the room. You know, I mean, he was like, I believe that. He was just incredibly sweet and smart and just the kind of person that you want. As soon as you meet him once, you just like want everything for him. Then several years later, as, as a stardust, he, was the most committed to kayfabe of any professional wrestler I've ever wasn't he, seen. Wasn't he going in the full suit and the yeah. paint for Media Row doing and, everything? And, like, working shtick with everybody yeah. who's... I mean, it was amazing. Yeah. Damn! And yet, yeah. Killing it! Thanks, man. What's the weight? 190. 190! The Masked Man, Dave! The Delicious David! Delicious. Shoemaker! <sighs> God, you're so good at everything you I, do. I thought I'd, I could have done yours better, David. It's okay. I'll work I, on it. You know, I'll work before on we wrap up, before we wrap up, can we try that? Maybe we'll do it all again. Let's just do the whole thing. Sweet Peter and delicious David. What's uh, <laughs> Why? Why is that our... Sweet and delicious. It. Yeah, that, this, is, del- this is totally a Memphis tag team. Yes. Oh, this is really you great. You get it? Yeah. Yeah, he does. Oh, you guys know your stuff, don't this, you? This guy definitely knows his you stuff. Guys know I know a stuff. little bit of stuff. Not just his commitment to character, but the, his just sort of felicity with the gimmick. You know, mm-hmm. like he was able to just like he was in character, like ad libbing incredibly funny stuff. Yeah, one of my favorite anecdotes in your piece is him talking about watching the Jim Carrey Batman Forever yeah. scene where he blows up the Batcave before every show. Yeah, yeah. Like, is does is as far as I can tell, he seems like a very introspective, kind of artistic, sensitive guy. Is that oh, yeah. the case when Absolutely. you spend time with him? Yeah, and you, it's little things. He thinks about everything when you're when you're around him and you talk with him. There's little stuff. You know, you ask him about even something like his gear. Well, you know, he, automatically it's you know, oh, I needed the the little belt here like Han Solo. I was going to do the Mandalorian skull, but then I decided Austin Hall Eagle for my dad. And it's like things that. Really, only the most committed of committed people will notice other than him, but he cares. He's so detail-oriented about everything. And I think that kind of you – know, he's really good. I think always – you know, when I think of a guy who's great at reinventing himself over the long haul, I think Jericho, right? Yeah, that, absolutely. He, he's the king. Um, but I think just over what we've seen in the last year and a half with Cody on his independent run, he's been really good about, you know, just even little things like changing up the gear or changing up, you know, what jacket he has to the ring or, you know, switching to kind of the cape now, you know, dyeing his hair. And you go back to the WWE to, days and there's a lot of that too i mean he obviously never had that main event run that he wanted and that some fans may have wanted for him but he changed it up over time you know he may have been cody rhodes you know even before stardust but it went from the legacy thing to dashing cody rhodes to undashing cody rhodes and you know that i put in the piece but the whole clear plastic doctor doom mask was something that he watched rip hamilton play in the pistons and he's like that will work and he paid out of pocket for it i don't he told me he never even got reimbursed he didn't even really care he was just like this will work and I'm going to sell them on it, and I'm going to do it. So one of the things that we we hear a lot about uh, from top talent in WWE uh, is that they are those sort of like really anal, like uh, people with attention to detail being foremost on their minds at all times, and always coming up with ideas for their character and 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 crafting it in addition to the writers helping them. With Cody having that ability, 
Why is it that you think that he wasn't able to break through the politics of WWE? Was it because he's a sensitive guy that he's just not as assertive? Because that's what I got from your piece. I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard to say, partly because, you know, he doesn't even know to this day. You know, he never really got an answer for what it was. I think some of it just, you know how it is. Somebody sees you a certain way and it's hard to unsee you. You know, we he and I, when we talked about this, the example that I brought up, and this is a buddy of his, but, you know, every... WWE fan who loves wrestling loves Cesaro. And I think all of us at some point have been wondering, well, when is the singles run coming? Why isn't the singles run there? Because clearly he can do it. Right guy hasn't seen it in him yet. I, I, without, I mean, jumping in, one of the pieces, one of the, one of the passages I mean, in the piece where you're, that a lot of people have glommed onto, and it's, I think, a story that's been told before, that Cody's told before, is he's sitting in a creative meeting with a writer who didn't even turn his laptop on, yeah. and like pantomime typing and... um yeah, there was, a, I think, yeah, I mean, there, there, it was, a, I mean, just a ridiculous situation. Um, you know, I know you and I, we both reached out to former members of the creative team mm-hmm. who were there around the same time, and and nobody wants to go on the record about Cody, mostly because of the letter that he wrote on his way out. I think that there's just still a lot of heat, and, and nobody, and they just don't want to get involved. Um, but the thing that, the sort of thing that you would hear is that, you know, as, as you know, poorly as he was treated by the by the writers at the end of the day, they're just sort of they're they're you know, you can pitch them whatever you want, but if they think if they know that Vince is going to shoot it down, then yeah. they feel like they're sort of just treading water by having the conversation. Right. And so towards the end, you know, we didn't get blow by blow into everything that happened in the timeline because, you know, there's an 8,000 word story. There's plenty that was left out. But towards the end, essentially he was referred to Vince to talk one more time with him about his character. And then just, you know, the way I understand it is just at some point, you know, he was waiting for Vince to sign on things. And I think he just kind of came to realization, you know, independent of that, of whatever that's happened, you know, happens with this, maybe this is time to go somewhere else. And maybe this is time to go do my thing and see if I can do it elsewhere. You know, and he, he goes out of his way to to talk about WWE, his good memories in his career. And I, I do buy that. I think he was frustrated, but there is a lot of stuff that, you know, when you come up in the system, that's that's home to you for an extent, especially given that, you know, he, he is tight with a lot of guys who are there still. He loved being in the locker room. I'm sure he wishes it went differently, but I also don't think, given everything that happened, he regrets leaving, nor should he, with how white hot he and the the Bucks have been, kind of, you know, ever since he started arriving. I was listening to a conversation about that uh, for another wrestler on, I, I think, on Pritchard's podcast, where it's just like the, the the place you don't want to get is kind of being competent, you know, and being just sort of mm-hmm. like and having, like when when Vince or whoever it is gets an idea of who they think you are, whether and, right. and if that, but if that def, if whatever that it, they think you are is just sort of like blah then it's that's the hardest place to be yeah it's Dolph Ziggler syndrome you know Dolph Ziggler has gotten to a point where they like him they're confident enough in in his ability to put him on a card and they're going to give him good money to stay but he's never going to be a world champion again yeah and with Cody I think I mean both of those guys it's it's almost like the familiarity breeds if not contempt then like the perception of it because right the longer you the, the, the longer you're with the company and the more, I mean, he, Cody is, I mean, obviously has been in wrestling his whole life, whether or not he knew it. And then mm-hmm. I remember when he got signed, people would tell me like, this is it. Like, this is the pl- Vince's platonic ideal of a pro wrestler because wow. he tried to be, because he did not try to, he, he has acting experience. He yep. has the look, he has the legacy and he, and mm-hmm. obviously he has the, in, the ring, the ring skills too. But at some point it's like, you're, if you're so comfortable around, if, if Vince or whoever it is is so comfortable around you, you don't have that 
edge that like actually frightens them into putting you in a good spot almost. You know, it's like they, yeah. they feel like they know you too well. Yeah. And I mean, who who even really knows? You know, the ultimate example of this when he got released and now he's back was uh, Drew McIntyre yep. slash Drew Galloway. I was actually I remember that when he got released, I was doing a story advice on, on the Young Bucks and I was with them and uh, we were having a conversation. I think that's when the, the news kind of came down. And I remember Nick Jackson being like, they they don't want him, then who do they want? Because, you know, six foot five dude who's good in the microphone. I mean, what more would Vince McMahon ever want than that? And yeah. then he goes to the Indies and he did incredible work in Evolve and just, you know, showed this incredible amount of charisma. And he goes back and, you know, unfortunately before the injury happens, uh, you know, hopefully it doesn't derail the momentum he had because he was, you know, NXT champion. He was definitely getting the push. And why wouldn't he? So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's always that question of, well, what do they want? And sometimes, you know, I don't think anybody knows other than they want Roman Reigns for better yeah. forms. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, and I think that this is, I mean, this is not, a, a re, this is not a, you know, shitting on WWE, but right. the, you know, part of the problem when you're a functional monopoly is that you, you know, if you don't have something for someone to do right there until they really build up, you know, their own developmental system and, and make a situation where you can, you know, send Cody down to NXT or send him somewhere, you know, just to reinvent himself, send him to SmackDown. It's a separate universe. Um, it sucks that like you're in this position of people like demanding their release so they can just sort of figure out their lives or whatever and well, travel the world. It, it strikes me as something that's that's akin to what guys like Pritchard, like veterans of the business that have been around for 20, 30 years, always say about the territory system is, hey, man, if you've had your run in WWF, you go to you go to Crockett, you go to um, wherever else there is. Mm -hmm. that's a big territory. You go to the USWA, whatever it would be. To to build yourself back up, to do some some new shtick, and to and to reinvent yourself, as you said. So maybe what Cody's been able to do is going to create that new opportunity for people to yeah. say, eh, "I don't need this anymore." Well, a lot of I mean, he's not the first, but it, it's thankfully we're in a world now where there where you know uh, the global economy has allowed you know the the intersection of like the indie American indie wrestling and like mainstream Japanese wrestling, and these guys can make, like Cody yep. can make a ton of money. Tell me. From talking to him, like what, how, where do you, how does he feel about his current career and like his, you know, future prospects? He loves it. Um, it was interesting because the first time I talked with him was in Tennessee for a small show out there, and that at that point, this was uh, May of last year. So when we talked then, it was very much a I'm very happy. This is where I want to be, but you know, maybe don't rule it out going back because that was my home. We'll see what happens. Second time I talked with him was uh, after the G1 shows in Long Beach, the United States, and he was on such a high. He main evented against Okada the first night. The second night, he was in the ring um, when Kenny Omega became, you know, the inaugural U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, champion for New Japan. And at that point, that's when he he first started saying, and I feel like this is only more entrenched in his mindset of, you know, it's a great part of my past. I'll always love it. Um, they've taken care of, you know, they take great care of his mom, and he made sure to, you know, point that out many times. He's like, but that'll probably be it. You know, it's my past. He said, he's like, I will have a list of demands that they ever want me to come back. And he's like, and I don't think they'll ever meet them. Um, whether that holds true or not, three, four, five years from now, I don't know. He's pretty adamant that he wants to retire by 40. This is the wrestling business. We'll see <laughs> We'll see if that it goes down or not. Uh, but I think the fact that, you know, what happened last year with the whole Bullet Club invasion of Raw and how that it would be started responding to legal action, I certainly know that, you know, since the Young Bucks were targets of that he's really close with them i'm sure that wasn't something that sat well with him and especially now doing all in uh, that to me is a pretty big statement of intent of you know if you miss the arena shows so bad 
maybe, you know, the average person would go back to WWE, but he isn't the average person. He's the dude who says, let me finance this with my own money and make my own big arena show and wrestle there. So if you're doing that, that tells me maybe not that you've burned the boats, but you're not going back to the dock anytime soon. Yeah, I think that's, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, but it, it's so funny because in wrestling, it's all, you know, the snake eating its tail. Never, It never ends, right? It's like the more defiant he will, his, you know, the more impossible it gets for him to ever go back, the more of a sure thing it is that he will eventually go back. Yeah, you know? I mean, and I think at the end of the day, what it will come down to in some senses is he's learning what the Young Bucks have learned, which is that he's making more money now and he's working less. Yeah. And, you know, he's obviously, he he's very close with his wife. Um he lives in Atlanta. His mom is in Atlanta. His sister's in Atlanta. He enjoys being around. So, you know, maybe there's not that urgency because I know, you know, when I talk to the Young Bucks, at the end of this year, their contract will be up. That's going to be a big thing for them. You know, why? Sure, the WWE is alluring. And it's obviously a different case with those guys because they've never been, whereas Cody has been. But at the end of the day, if we're making all this money and we have all this creative control to do whatever we want and we get to be home more with our families, well, at some point, is the lure the intangible lure of wrestling in WWE and seeing what happens, it does that really outweigh the practical reasons why just this would be a dumb idea to leave what I have right now that's so good? I just, when I think about the psyche of the professional wrestler, I always think about how much they uh, fuel themselves with the adulation of the fan and and the spotlight and, and the idea of being the biggest and the best mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. whatever yeah. that might be. So I always think in the back of my mind, like, yes, it seems practical and it right. seems like logical to, to to continue doing it on your own. But Bosh. the shiny little like ball <laughs> yeah. up in the air, the disco ball of WrestleMania, the sign, the blinking lit up sign always seems like it's such a draw for them. It is. And I, I you know, his mom had a good line about this where when she was talking and, you know, a big arc of this story is that he is someone who doesn't realize how much like his father he is until recently. And one of the ways that his mom told me this is, you know, she said he's never happy unless he's the lead dog. And that was Dusty. Dusty was that way. And Cody's that way. Um, but what does lead dog mean? Because something that's interesting, you know, before he signed with Ring of Honor, um, he told me, he was like, I want to be in creative calls. He's like, I want to know what's going on. I want to have creative input. For him, he's such a creative mind. That's one of the ways he's probably most like his father. And maybe you get the main event match. But for him, I think he kind of likes being the franchise player. And by that, I mean Ring of Honor has hitched its star to him. They care what he thinks. They let him do whatever he wants creatively. I think it says a lot that this all-in show isn't a Ring of Honor show. This is a Cody Rhodes and Young Bucks show. And yet Ring of Honor, because those guys are, you know, the franchise players, they basically said, cool, do it. Use our talent. We'll help you with production. Uh, Go ahead and try. And so on the one hand, you're right, um, because I do think, you know, he wants to be that guy. But even if he's that guy in WWE, Roman Reigns is that guy. Roman Reigns gets all his promo scripted and says whatever they tell him to say. Yeah. And looks the same as he did in The Shield five years ago. So I don't know if that will. And that's the part with him that I think is unique is that even if you promised him that main event mania slot, but he didn't get to really create, I don't know if he'd want to do it. Because I think that's what's most fulfilling him is being creative and really just, I mean, he's, he's obsessive when it comes to wrestling. He's really in it all the time, thinking about it all the time. And if he couldn't have that you know, that leeway to do what he wants to do, I'm not sure he'd ever be satisfied. You mentioned Dusty. He also mentioned some other members of, of the family. Um, we got to talk about, at least briefly, the, you, your retelling in this piece of Dusty's death. Um, the first time in, you know, the world had, had, was aware of, uh, the, the world has been made aware of many of the details of his passing uh, was in the piece that you wrote. Um, 
uh, talk to me about who, what members of the family you spoke to. Um, and then, you know, just sort of the conversations with Cody, uh, like that he was interested in telling the story, you know, why and why now? So I talked to Cody. I talked to his sister, Teal, um, and they were, you know, Dusty had four kids, two from each marriage. They were his two kids in the second marriage. And I talked to Michelle, who's Dusty's widow. Uh, so those are the people who were there and those are the people who lived it. Um, it was it was tough. I mean, it pro- there's a detail in the piece that honestly, there's a line from Michelle um, where essentially after Dusty passed away and he died from septic shock that the Internet had always said it was stomach cancer. And that was one of the first things that I that I asked him. And right away, everybody's like, no, we don't know where that came from. He never had stomach cancer. It was septic shock. And uh, what they've all told me is that if you apparently if anybody you've ever seen anybody pass away from septic shock, it's, it's awful for a lot of reasons. But a big one is that just between what the disease, you know, what it does to your insides and the medication you're on, you don't even look the same. Um, and so he's dusty after he passed, he was, he was very bloated. Um, you know, Michelle just, it, she kept saying, this isn't my husband. This isn't my husband. And, uh, eventually she kind of ushered everybody out of the room and she washed his body. Um, she was a, she was a nurse and beyond that, even if she weren't, I think this would be something she wanted to do. And the line when I asked her, you know, why? And she, she straight up said, she said, you know, I'm an old Southern woman. We bathe our dead. And that that stuck with me more than anything else from the story mm. for a long, long time. I mean, she literally sat in that room until they put a toe tag on him and put him in the body bag. She would, she didn't want to leave. Um, it was tough hearing it. It was tough hearing from different perspectives. Seeing Cody talk about it, um, we really, we had a three-hour lunch in a, at a hotel restaurant in LA. And that was when we really talked about it. And he was, he he thought about it. You know, he said he, there were times, Michelle always tells him, you, you should forget about what you saw in the hospital. Cause he was in the hospital wide awake for 30 hours. From the minute he managed to get to Florida, he did not leave that room. And he, there are times when he just, he isn't even sure he wants to, you know, he kind of clings on to that, that pain, so to speak, cause that was, those were their last memories together. And, uh, it was, it was reliving a lot of stuff. You know, it was, it was very stream of consciousness when he talked about it. It was, he would talk to me about something and then he would he would jump to something else and he'd be like, you know, and then he would start thinking about, you know, just hospitals in general. There was, there was something that, an interesting detail. I didn't have room to put this in the piece. It just weren't made sense. But um, both the night he won the Ring of Honor title and the night he lost the Ring of Honor title, he had to get stitches. But when he got those stitches, um, and he got him in hospital, but he had his mom take them out because he, he hates hospitals. Mm-hmm. After this, he just, he said, he's like, I have no use for hospitals unless I absolutely need to go there. Um, and a lot of the stuff he hadn't shared before. And I think when I first approached him with this story, he was very hesitant about talking. And I think the reason why he did in a lot of senses was thankfully what this piece was able to do, which is that there are probably a lot of people that, you know, can latch on to something like this and either just the bond that they had with Dusty as a fan or just the way that they feel about a parent. And I think everybody's gone through something and he's come out the other side. And I also think there were, you know, something I try to sort of impart on him and I don't know how much this motivated him or not, but there were definitely times that first year, you know, he's, he's going through it, he's grieving. And meanwhile, you know, there's I, the way I described in the piece is, you know, you go to an indie show, everybody's talking to you. Not like the yeah. WWE where you don't have, you're insulated. You don't have to be around fans. So you go to an indie you're show. selling your own merch to fans. Selling yeah. your own merch. And the first year, everybody's talking about Dusty. It's, it's like being, the line that I use is, he was a one man receiving line at his father's wake. And I, unfortunately, when I wrote this story, uh, the two groomsmen at my wedding, both of them lost their fathers within three weeks of each other. And so I went to both funerals, both wakes, both everything. And so 
a lot of that was in my mind writing this story. And I just saw how exhausting it was for them to do it one day. And so I'm imagining him doing this for a year. And so yeah. he was he was very fragile. And there were times when, you know, it, it sucks, but there were some fans who just didn't want to hear it anymore. Who just were tired of hearing what he's going through. But, you know, this is his life. And yeah. I, I always thought that was shitty. And I always thought that if I, you know, he was able to open up to me and, you know, we were able to have a conversation and do a story like this, that people might get what he's going through. Because it wasn't just that his father died. It was the combination of how he died, being there for how he died, and then the next year and a half of his life just with a terrible work life for him in WWE when things are going downhill. And then when he goes to the Indies and works better, but then you're just getting this onslaught of people who mean well, and he knows they mean well, and he, you know, he's always very kind, but it just, it wears you down after a while. And so I think trying to sort of impart that, I think people will understand him better and what he's been through because it's, he's been through a lot. Yeah. Well, something that's fascinating to me about Cody and Dusty as, as, you know, father and son is, you mentioned in your piece that Dusty really was the ultimate babyface. Mm -hmm. Like, he was the common man. He was all about the American dream. Hard Times promo is probably the greatest babyface promo of all time. I don't have to say a lot more about the way I feel about Ric Flair. No respect. No honor. There is no honor among thieves in the first place. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. You don't know what hard times are, Daddy. Hard times are when the textile workers around this country are out of work and got four or five kids and can't pay their wages, can't buy their food. Hard times are when the auto workers are out of work and they tell them go home. And hard times are when a man has worked at a job 30 years, 30 years. They give him a watch, kick him in the butt and say, hey, a computer took your place, Daddy. That's hard times. That's hard times. And yet Cody, his son, who, as you said, shares a lot of the same DNA, the same drive for success, is such an excellent heel. Oh, yeah. And I can't even imagine what babyface Cody Rhodes looks like or how that would that would work. Uh, what do you think it is about Cody and his personality that lends itself better to being a heel than a babyface? Well, I think some of it is just the fact that he doesn't look like Dusty. You know, he's got these... You know, like we talked about, he's the platonic ideal, right? He has, he's a good looking dude. He looks like a movie star. He wears suits everywhere. So right away, if he looked more like Dusty, maybe he wouldn't be able to do this because people visually would not be able to picture something else. And Dusty's body type was always suited to be that baby face. But Cody, I think for one, you're able to disassociate him just visually from Dusty. Now a little less now he's got the blonde hair and looks kind of like Roy Batty combined with Dusty. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think it's that. I think it's also... You know, because I asked him about the origin of uh, of the American Nightmare thing, and he he told me that there was a time in WWE when he had this conversation with Sami Zayn, and he just, you know, they're friends, and Cody just loved tweaking him because, you know, Sami is this, you know, globally-minded Canadian who uh, is just, you know, very different than the average American guy. And here's Cody who, Cody just a mess with him, but there was a lot of truth in this. He's like, I am big budget box office movies. I am gas guzzling SUVs. I am wear my suit, smoke my cigar, eat my steak. And <laughs> that's him. You know, he is, this is Cody played up to 11, right? So I think there's that element of him of, well, what do we not like about America and American dystopia? And he's got some of that. I think some of it too is the fact that he's, he's, he is always thinking and he has that the mindset, you know, he's a guy who loves sci-fi and comic books and movies. He's got that cinematic, uh, I guess, wheel spinning in his head. So he's thinking about how, you know, 
he's essentially consumed media of great villains throughout his life, and he likes to take pieces of that. It's not an accident that, you know, when he's playing Stardust, well, let me watch Tim Carey. When he has the mask on his undashing Cody Rhodes, it's let me listen to the Phantom of the Opera soundtrack. He He sort of draws from a lot of stuff. And so I think that combination of influences, the fact that he is a trained actor, um, I think it all kind of becomes this cauldron that you stirred around and it works. You know, I think very much with him, especially his current character he's on, there is almost, there's this aura about him that you don't see on the indies very much. You don't even see WD that much. Mm-hmm. When, you know, he's not the dude, when he wrestles Kenny Omega, you know, he's not the wrestler Kenny Omega is. But as a presence, as knowing exactly who he is as a character, knowing what buttons to push. I mean, if you watch Being the Elite, you know, it's scripted, but he's doing everything you would see a good TV or movie villain do of manipulating the people around him in a way that there are shades of gray in it. Um, And I just think he's he's a really smart dude. He's one of the smartest athletes I've interviewed. And I I do every sport, not just wrestling. I've talked to a bunch of them. He's up there in the top three without a doubt. And so I think some of the latent stuff that he is and some of the just what he's a student of, um, you know, he's a student of wrestling for sure. The guy loves history. So I just think he he does his homework and then he has some latent things in him that I just, you know, some guys are naturally heels. And I think that's just him. Um, We got to wrap this up. Uh, We're about to get a phone call from none other than. The Glendale Nightmare, Dan St. Germain. <laughs> well, he's moving. Uh, he's moving to New I York. I know, I know. Um, will you stick around, Mike, and talk about uh, talk about Fastlane with us later on? There is nothing I love more than bad WWE pay-per-views. <laughs> All right, <laughs> we're uh, we going to talk Fastlane. First, we're going to talk to Dan St. Germain. But before that, quick word from one of our sponsors. Hey, guys, I'm Mark Titus. And I'm Tate Frazier. And we are the hosts of One Shining Podcast. It is March. Check your calendars. It's true. March Madness is coming up. We're here to talk about all things college basketball. If you like... FBI investigations. Mm-hmm. If you like teams that are on the bubble and think they belong in, even though they have like 16 losses, come check out One Shining Podcast. If you like buzzer beaters, Buzz Williams, being buzzed, watching basketball, those are all three things you can do and you can listen to us. We're going to talk about everything that happens in the NCAA tournament. It's going to be great. We're going to be here all month. Please subscribe to One Shining Podcast. Check all of our, our stuff out. Tate has done some very disgusting things for money in the past yes. and he he is desperate more to for come. more subscribers mm-hmm. so he doesn't have to return to his old life. So please, 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 Subscribe to our pod. Check us out. We're having a lot of fun this March. Uh, you can get us wherever you find your podcast, Apple, Stitcher, SoundCloud. I, I'm a Google Play guy. Google Play doesn't get enough love when people do this. List. And Spotify. People and are Spotify. on Spotify now, so. so go check it out. All right. Now on the masked phone, the masked man line. I don't know what we're calling this thing. None other than the King of Sad Style, Dan St. Germain. How are you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm I'm great. I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited to talk to you guys to talk about everyone's favorite pay per view, WWE Fastlane. Uh, incorrect. Absolutely no one ever. My favorite is Payback, as you know. My favorite is uh, my favorite is um, in your house. Beware of dog with two G's. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. Only second to uh, Capital Punishment or Our Truth Headline. Oh, That's really Taboo great. Tuesday, brother. Listen, we got to talk about Fastlane because uh, WWE won't deliver us bags of money if we don't. But um, uh, it's a, this is a weird pay per view. We're on the road to WrestleMania. I, it's hard to imagine that much is going to change at this point. Um, but so let, let's just take let's just take it from the zoomed out WrestleMania is on the horizon point of view. He, here are your champions going into Fastlane: AJ Styles, uh, WWE champ; Bobby Roode, US champ; The Usos tag champs; Charlotte is uh, Charlotte Flair is your SmackDown Women's champion; 
It's a uh, TNA invasion. Of, the, <laughs> of those four champions, who do you think is most likely to lose on Sunday, Dan? Charlotte, Charlotte Usos, Rude, or AJ? I mean, I think it's a toss-up between, I, I, I think Rude, but, uh, you know, maybe, I mean, they, they could put the belts on the New Day just because they think they're going to get a better WrestleMania match that way. Uh, which it would that would be that would be awful because the Usos in my mind have had a you know as good a year as anybody in that company, but yeah, I I, I think it's a toss up between either Orton or or uh, the New Day walking away with the title. I I, I would say that uh, I guess or, I, I guess Orton maybe a little there's a little bit more of a chance, but I, I think I think no titles are going to change hands for the most part. I think. Shilling, you jump in and correct me if you have a totally different opinion. My, mine of, of those four, I my I would guess, and I don't think this is going to happen, but I would say my bet would be Charlotte would lose only because if you wanted to put the Riot Squad on the WrestleMania card, the only way it makes sense is if they get a win and get the belt. I don't think Ruby Riot's going to win on Sunday. Bonkers. But this is the that's the only. Am, am I crazy? To, am I wrong to say that Charlotte, the the, the SmackDown Women's Championship, is the only? Big match that we don't pretty much know what's gonna what the match will be at WrestleMania. Oh, the the Raw tag team titles we have no idea. The the bar have put out a challenge right. to every tag team on the planet. Yeah, but uh, yeah, there's definitely a, a a feeling that there's no captain on the boat for the Raw women's or SmackDown women's division. Um. All right, Dan. Yeah, I I I I don't know. I I can't see. I cannot see the riot scribe Ruby Riot. She has such a cool look, and she's okay in the ring. Um, but that 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 promo was terrible. People were talking about how it was how it was decent. I just thought she just doesn't seem like punk rock. She that, seems like yeah. she's trying to cut the most generic version of the CM Punk. You've had it so easy promo. Yeah, I think I think she's still trying to find exactly the right sort of tune. Um, Mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, her look is is has been incredibly successful. You know, I don't I haven't heard anybody. I mean, I don't I don't see people online complaining that she's too small to be challenging Charlotte, even though that she's smaller than a lot of the people people have said that about before. Right. I mean, the look accomplished the, the look accomplishes a lot for getting her over. I think the, right. her, her her vocals aren't quite there in line with where her look is, you know, where her gimmick is, I guess. Right. Um, but it was a good promo. It just wasn't like what you would have imagined that promo would have sounded like if you had fantasy booked it or whatever. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I think, and we're saying this with I think everybody in the Riot Squad is that they've got, they've got a, uh, all of them are very skilled professional wrestlers. It's just they've got a ways to go before they put it all together. Yeah, my feeling is that the the whole Ruby Riot thing has been set up for her to be kind of like a bruiser brawler type character, but really, like her look. And her whole vibe makes me think Jake the Snake Roberts. Yeah. Makes me think kind of devious and dark. It's the mustache, isn't it? It's the <laughs> she definitely seems like yeah. somebody Jake the Snake Roberts hooked up with on the road. Oh, Christ. <laughs> um, uh, and that, I, I don't understand what the other, the the blonde girl from the Ruby Riots gimmick, what's her name again? Liv Morgan. Liv Morgan. She, like, had a, she kind of had a, um, Who's, I'm doing this twice. The Suicide Squad thing going on in the beginning. Oh yeah. And now it just feels like she's Jesse Jane. Well, she like it's, 
She couldn't. It's kind of. I, I just don't get the whole. I, I really loved Absolution when they came in, and it's really sad about you know Paige's uh, Paige's what, what what could be a career-ending injury, but I don't understand why they. You know, almost did the Billy to Alec Baldwin version of it on SmackDown. So, <laughs> well, Liv Morgan was doing the Suicide Squad thing the same time that uh, Alexa Bliss was doing it, so she had to stop dressing like Harley Quinn because Alexa's doing that, and now she looks like Carmella, and and it's just like, what am I supposed to be seeing here? They haven't by the figured way, that out who Carmella this match was really good on SmackDown last night. I thought with her and Becky. Yeah, no, I really like that too. I mean, I think that that is, you know, they they just added to the to the uh, fast lane card. They added Becky and Naomi versus Natalia and Carmella. I think that that's actually where where you know it's like keep your eye on the ball or whatever. That's where we should be looking for what's going to happen at WrestleMania. Unless Oscar decides to go to SmackDown. No, on this Monday. is done. It's settled. I don't know, man. They, the messaging has been. Con- I, I think Oscar is supposed to go against Charlotte. That's what all the yeah, because smart marks are saying. Now they're setting up Alexa and Nia Jax by Alexa making Nia cry in a backstage segment. Oh, maybe. Oh, okay. Well, this makes a lot of sense because they. It, it's it's yeah. really telling that they have not set up an opponent for Charlotte Flair, and we are a month away from WrestleMania. Yeah, yeah it's going to be Oscar and Charlotte. Okay, Dan. Let's talk about the main event. AJ versus mm-hmm. John Cena versus Kevin Owens versus Sami Zayn versus Baron Corbin versus Dolph Ziggler versus the Brooklyn Very Brawler. Good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, so Is that have, Henry Godwin? Yeah. <laughs> um, it was actually Bertha Faye. Oh, yeah. my Lord. What, what is going to happen in this match? And uh, second question, after AJ Styles retains, what happens with all these uh, all these other dudes? I, I don't understand SmackDown. I, I don't understand why you have a fatal five-way to promote a, a, a fatal six-way. And it's like, well, just imagine what this like what this is going to be like when John Cena is thrown in the mix. That's such a slap in the face to everybody on the roster that's been busting their ass on SmackDown. Uh, I, I, as far as what they do, what I what I originally wanted for WrestleMania, and I, and I still think you should do this is have an eight person US IC title ladder match where both titles are hanging above, above above the ring and you know then you could have something where Seth Rollins grabs the US title and goes to SmackDown or you know maybe Miz retains the Intercontinental or someone else takes the Intercontinental from uh from SmackDown so that that would be my vote is that you know you could put a bunch of guys in there I don't. I think you know Ziggler kind of needs a reboot. I mean, I think he's a really talented another wrestler. Another reboot. I think he needs another reboot. Yeah, I think it's. I think not having a character isn't a character, and I, I, I don't know. The record scratch but, uh, isn't doing it, is, it for you. No, the match itself, the final five way. No, the record, the record scratch in uh, Ziggler's no, music. No, it was cool in the beginning, but now. You know, it's like one of those things like, you know, when you're in college and you come back for Thanksgiving and you're all like, you're all like, oh, you know, like quoting Nietzsche and saying, you know, the real history of Thanksgiving and saying, fuck everybody. <laughs> like, you've got a lot of points, but ultimately, what sides did you bring? You know, <laughs> what are you doing to contribute to the dinner? And I think in the beginning, you know, you can say, fuck you. And it's interesting. But after a while, people want to be like, okay. Where's the mac where and the cheese? Potatoes? Yeah, let me get some I'm mac and cheese. I'm asking Dolph Ziggler to bring the sweet potatoes. Uh, 
I think what they should do is they should hide both the U.S. and the Intercontinental titles somewhere in the Superdome, and we do a scavenger hunt where all the wrestlers have to search through the stadium to find the belts. And whoever That's finds the belt... That's my least favorite scene from when the levees broke, so... <laughs> they weren't hiding belts then. They were hiding rations. No, that's right. Dan, what else are you excited for for this weekend or for WrestleMania? What is the what is the what is the one thing uh that that's keeping you up at night watching wrestling highlights? Well, I mean I'm excited about a lot of you know, I'm excited about a lot of things. I mean, obviously the AJ Nakamura match is going to be great. They've they've got the match is going to be so good. They can have the shittiest build ever and nobody's going to care. Like the, the the build could literally you know, just be Nakamura and AJ Styles playing Candyland on the backstage of vignettes, and we know that this match is going to be terrific. So, I am looking forward to that at WrestleMania. There's a lot of cool stuff happening on Raw. As far as, far as the rest of the Fastlane card is concerned, I don't. I also, um, I'm sure the Bludgeon Brothers will show up at some point and you know hold their hammers forward. They they just wait. Who are we talking to? I heard that they were going back to the drawing board with the costumes. Did we no, talk about no, that on no, the no. show? I have not heard that. I've seen the same costumes every week. Oh, they, I, oh, say, so maybe I heard this from an insider. The, uh, the, the costumes are not long for this world. Thank God. They're dressed like if, if the Mortal Kombat tournament took place in a Cracker Barrel. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, would be more into loincloths, um, where they're like cavemen. Dan, well, you're a very, you're very fluid sexually, Dave. That's right. That's true. Um, Dan, uh, me and Kenny Omega. Before we let you go, do you want, do you want to, do you want to break the news of your wonderful career uh, announcement on, well, on this show? I don't know. I mean, when does this get released? Uh, all I want to say is I am moving to New York City. I can't really talk about why I'm moving to New York yet. I love LA. Uh, I will be back here, but uh, I am moving to New York, which. I will probably announce the reason why I'm leaving, you know, in the next couple days. But yeah, it's for a cool reason. I'm not getting run out of town. Yeah, he can't. I won't tell you what the job is, but the office is in Trump Towers. That's what I'll tell you right now. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> communications director I'm, uh, for I'm the White House, national security advisor. Um, Dan, uh, do you want to plug your your wonderful yeah, wrestling podcast? Marks. So we have six episodes up. Um, Shoemaker's done it. Schilling was supposed to do it. Uh, I was in Seattle, brother. Him has done it. Uh, and uh, this week, Brian Dipperstein is going to be on. Yeah. So, Whoa. Well, Plus, there's people like Mike Lawrence and Sean O'Connor and Tony Hinchcliffe. They've all been on it. So it's a nice mix of Max, Masked Men family and, uh, you know, Scumbag Comics. So please tune in. All right, man. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for contributing. Hopefully, maybe Thank I'll see you, you, maybe I'll see you this weekend. Thank you for having me on again. And uh, hopefully I'll be back to L.A. soon to be in the actual studio. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Later, brother. Later, man. Have a good one. Later, buddy. All right. Thanks to Dan. We're back at the table with Mike and Dave. Um, I, this is totally far. Like this is not not on subject. Well, it's on subject. It's about professional wrestling and WWE. But I I saw I ran across this article this week, and I had to. I I just like I got to talk to Schilling about this because it's pretty cool. We talk about how good the developmental system's doing. Um, and it's specifically because we're talking about um, some of the, the the women who have been called up, um, Riot Squad, Absolution, that kind of thing. I, found, I just randomly found an article October 28th, 2015 in the Miami Herald. It's just basically a press release. It's a, and this is when um, WWE signed uh, Josh and Sarah Lee from Tough Enough 
You remember, like, those the two tough enough winners? Uh-huh. So what was that dude's name? Like, the Yeti or something like that? Yeah, he called himself, he thought the Yeti was a cool name. The Yeti. Although, it's like, you know, I remember when The Miz was on, on The Real World doing promos, like, I'm The Miz, and I'm like, that's the dumbest name ever, that's not a name. You know, it's not a thing. <laughs> lo and behold. And lo and behold. But so anyway, Josh Brettel, I believe his name was, and Sara Lee were, were the winners of Tough Enough, um, and they got signed to WWE. Now... WWE puts out this big press release, or, or at least the Miami Herald puts out this, you know, kind of effusive thing about all of the people that they signed at one, you know, at, at the, at, in this training class. And I went through and I was like, oh, man, I'm about to read a lot of names I've never, you know, I totally forgot never existed or never even heard of. And it starts off this way, right? So the first name on the list is Mata uh, Abdelhamid, who is on Tough Enough as well, this totally jacked uh, Egyptian dude who's personal trainer. Um this is, it starts to become a lesson. I don't want to spoil anything, but like the people who seem like sure thing WWE projects just sort of disappear after a while. But this ends up, this is a pretty happy story. Um, next guy on the list, Chris Ratkins, another 6'6", 250 Aussie, uh, was released a couple years ago. Oh, by, you, you would think a sure thing. Right. Okay, this is, then it, then, then, but then the list just takes a turn. Next name, they mentioned Daria Baronado. That's Sonya Deville. Mm-hmm. Incredible, right? Next, Cesar Bonani, who is an NXT talent, was just mm-hmm. on TV last week uh, yep. in there with, um, with uh, what's his name? I forget. He's a perennial. Uh, Adam like, Cole, baby. Yeah, he was, he was, he, they offered him the shirt. The perennial just about to break through guy, but hasn't yeah. broken through. But he's, he's a perfect dude to have down in NXT. Uh, then we have Josh from uh, the Tough Enough winner. He's gone. Next, uh, another Tough Enough competitor who didn't win the show, Patrick Clark, who mm-hmm. we all know now as the Velveteen Dream. Maybe um, the hottest NXT superstar. Right yes. Now. Uh, next two on the list are Gabriel and Uriel Ely, who are these two giant twin yeah, brothers who are, yeah, they're just like legit six, seven guys. They fought the authors of pain. Right. They're still pretty green, but it's hard to imagine that two identical, I assume they're identical. If they're fraternal, they look exactly alike. They're twins. They, God these guys, damn. yeah, twins, twins always have a place in pro wrestling. These guys have, I think, a lot of potential. Uh, next, next on the list, Christopher Gerard, who we all know as Oni Morkin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's incredible. Uh, Dallas Harper uh, is the next. He's in NXT town. I think he's like six nine. He's he'll be okay. Adrian, um, I never, I always can't never pronounce this guy's name. Adrian uh, Jaude, he's a uh, from Beirut. He's like the old. He's like a, a grappler. He's still in NXT. Then Sarah Lee, the other winner, she's gone. Although she is, she is married to, or at least has a child with what's his name. Hell, what's that? Oh, what? no, Raymond Rowe. No, not Raymond Rowe. That's Sarah Logan. Sarah Logan. Okay. Uh, Sarah Lee is with... Um, Wesley Blake? Wesley Blake. There this we go. This is why we need Stack Guy Greg here giving us the stats. We- Wesley, Bla- Wesley Blake, former tag team champion, or NXT champ- tag team champion, uh, and he's still around. I think they're putting him in a new like uh, like military redneck faction in NXT oh, right now. Yeah, what could go wrong? Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> uh, I think it'll be fine. It's a militia. The next one on the list, another another guy who, who is no longer around is ZZ from that episode of Bra- of uh, <laughs> of Tough Enough. But so if you if you take out the tough en- the people they had to sign because of Tough Enough, this is a really great list. Uh, the next is uh, Dan Matha, who's still around. I mean, who's who's on the up? Who's you know coming up? Um, uh, who else is in here? Oh, Adrian Reese. Ember Moon is go. in this class. Uh, Amanda Sakamano, Mandy Rose mm-hmm. is in this class. One of my uh, new favorites, Mandy Rose. Zim Selmani, now we know him as Rezar. He's, yep. he's in this. 
uh, is in this class. And then Rich Swan, weirdly, is the last one who's come and gone in that period of time. But, I mean, those are some great numbers, man. Yeah, it seems to me that, just to go back to our original topic, uh, we need to spend more time appreciating what Dusty Rhodes did in Florida to create this system that has produced uh, incredible talents that has made WWE's roster better than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. You can say what you want about the creative and the production and Kevin Dunn and all that stuff, but at the end of the day, there are so many talented, uh, amazing wrestlers in WWE because of NXT. Yeah, both the recruitment side and and the development side are, yeah. are definitely definitely working well. You know, Mike, you you touched on this in your piece. And we, you and I probably had the most conversations, uh, you know, of all the stuff that we dealt with, is kind of trying to um, pin down Dusty's official title, yeah. what his actual responsibilities were, because it's very easy to talk about Dusty in Florida in the abstract. You know, right. people talk about the wrestlers being Dusty's kids. And by the way, there's an incredible line in your piece where, was it Teal that said, yeah. um, you know, I'm happy or whatever. Dusty's kids are cool, but his actual kids work here too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but there's, but you know, he did a lot. And, and, and I think that it's important. I, I feel, I don't know why. I feel like it's necessary to say, you know, applauding Dusty with the, 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 what Dusty did in NXT is not to take anything away from Triple H or any of the other tr- trainers that are working down there. I think sometimes it's set up as like a one or the other yeah. uh, online. It's a, te- it's a team effort from, you know, Triple H and, and, and Dusty to guys like Steve Carino who were mm-hmm. in the Performance Center every day helping people with promos and, or And whatever. frankly, just look, you look at the, I mean, the fact that that many people succeeded is a huge credit to the trainers and everything, but it's also a huge credit to Canyon and all the other people in, in, who, who were actually like scouting and hiring people that you that you can bring that you're bringing on again when you do a thing like tough enough you know that you're going to get some people who are just in it to be on tv so you you eliminate those tough enough competitors from the list and the success rate is so high the conversion rate i guess is so high i mean the, the the fact that they're scouting people and and succeeding with just having the sort of finding the sort of people that want this as their career and they're sure about it uh, you know, that's a huge success too. Yeah. And I think it's kind of almost like, you know, you, you picture like an NFL draft, right? You get, you're kind of hoping, you know, it, I think it's important to define success because this is a success. You know, it, it isn't a success if the, I guess the, the metric shouldn't be, well, if these guys aren't on every takeover, this isn't working. Like for something like NXT to work, especially as a touring company, you need guys like Cesar Bononi yeah. who could hand themselves in a match who can, you know, capably tease you a little bit of maybe we could push this dude, maybe not. Uh, and just have the right look to them, you know, have some developmental guys. And then, you know, you have dudes who, you know, were pretty obviously going to succeed. Like uh, before the out of ring stuff that happened with Rich Swan. Rich Swan delivered everything you thought he would. Oh, yeah, and more. Right. But then you find your sort of fourth round gem in Patrick Clark, who yeah. nobody in a bajillion years, and I'm sure nobody even at WWE, thought that at 23 he'd be doing what he did. One of my favorite things that I read recently uh at their small indie up in the Northeast, he was tag team partners with Leo Rush, mm. who is, before he signed with WWE, on probably the most precocious dude that I saw, in, you know, in the American Indies for a mm-hmm. while, being starting at 21. I remember watching him, uh, Supercard of Honor. I was there in Dallas a couple of years ago, and he's wrestling Jay Lethal. It was like his, I don't know, his 10th Ring of Honor match, and he was 21. And granted, he's been in the ring with Lethal, who's amazing, but he held his own. I was like, there's no way this guy's wrestled for a year. There's no way. And so it's so fitting that, well, who is his tag team partner? The other guy who we watch and take overs, and we're like, there's no way this guy is 23 with what he can do in the ring, yeah. with how aware he is as a character. 
Um, and I hated that character when I first saw it. I think it. a lot of like, people were skeptical. Really? Prince just died, bro. <laughs> what are we doing? Uh, like, it's a honky-tonk man thing and a Rick Rude thing, but he's also made it his own thing. I mean, I just loved that match with with Ono, the whole character that he did, going to the ring with the boxing gloves and, you know, getting so mm-hmm. excited. And just, it's the awareness he has. I mean, like you said, you know, other than Gargano, there's probably nobody more over right now in NXT than, yeah. than this guy. Yeah. No, it's it's really incredible. And he, but he, I mean, of everybody in NXT, he's the one that, you know, I'm, I think justifiably concerned with the eventual transition in the main sure. roster. The, vo- well, yeah. the volume settings on these things are always out of, you know, they're always out of whack for a while. And- he's young enough at 23 that he can be an NXT guy for another three years, win the belt, yeah. you know, be on top and, and build the promotion around um, as opposed <laughs> to, oh God, okay, we've got Finn Balor. He needs to go to the, the main roster right. immediately because he's a huge star. Yeah, and I think they, you know, we've seen this with the Authors of Pain who you probably just on the body of work and the arc that they've had, you could have justified pushing them several months ago up to the main roster, but they're both young guys uh, and they're being patient with it. You know? Yeah, you don't shove them up just for the sake of it. Right. Although and I think that they're going to be fighting. Yeah. They're going to be fighting the bar at WrestleMania. That's my opinion. They, they might be, but you know, the tag team division is probably, there's more room for somebody like that to step in. You don't need another single right now in right. either of those rosters. So you can keep Patrick Clark down there for a long time, like Dave is saying, and you know, just... Let him marinate a little bit. Yeah, there's a lot of guys who've been called up in the last couple of years who, besides like Enzo and Cass, uh, Kevin Owens, uh, Sami Zayn, Finn Balor, Shinsuke, Drew McIntyre, you know, is probably on his way eventually. Elias. Elias. You know, a lot of those guys are older mm-hmm. and are established already in the business. Elias is, is an outlier, but most of those guys are indie guys or, or, or you know, Japan uh, talents. Japanese talents. So when you've got the homegrown people, why not let them like stay around for a while? Why not let them develop? And also let NXT develop. Yeah, you know, NXT's yeah. eventually. I mean, I think in the not too not too far in the future will be a much bigger brand. Yeah. Plus, I think from an ego standpoint, if you're the WWE, you want to show that you could still develop your own guys and not just sign the hottest indie dudes, repackage yep. them, and push them. So they have a very vested interest to make Patrick Clark especially work because yep. there are not many people on the main roster right now who you could point to and say this was ours that we developed start to finish. And I, I think that probably does play one of many roles in why they do love Roman because Roman is theirs. They can't claim, oh, you just took it from the Indies, he'd be anywhere. No, he's WWE through and through and Patrick Clark has that potential. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's, I mean, it's funny because you say that about Roman Reigns, but like we are, every wrestling fan is going gaga over uh, Elias, over Braun Strowman. You know, these are like WWE creations through yeah. and through. Yeah, absolutely. Rusev. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, R- Rusev. Yeah, from the from, we, from we, his. We can get into Rusev when we talk about the pay per view. But oh, well, let let's do it. Um, I just, by the way, was looking at Elias's Wikipedia page just to to spot check his age because I, for some reason, thought he was a little bit older. He's only thirty. Oh, which right. is sort of like when guys, you know, sort of come up. But his his um one of his indie names was Heavy Metal Jesus. <laughs> which <laughs> that's a gimmick that would get that, over. He, us. he could just use that, right? Just, I mean, right he's not heavy nose. metal, but we've already got CrossFit Jesus. In he WWE. doesn't use that. That's true. Yeah. Uh, only on social media does he use that. Um, that that would be that would be fantastic. That would be the gr- the great like second degree like like main event heel turn for Elias. You know, he's already mostly <laughs> Elias goes electric. No, yes, Elias, <laughs> go, Elias goes like electric, Bob and Dylan. then just starts wearing shirts that say Jesus. I mean, I'm, I'm like, having this. I'm having this flashback to. Uh, to the old documentary when, you know, they're in the, the room with Vince and he's packaging Darren Trostoff as puke and he's just saying yeah. like, puke. And I'm just imagining him, Vince, being excited just so he could say, 
Bigger than God, heavy metal Jesus. Jesus, God. <laughs> Fantastic. He's <stuff>. the Lord. <laughs> um, all right, let's talk about WWE Fastlane this oh, Sunday. We talked great. about it a little bit with Dan. Um, I'll start at the bottom of the card. Let's just run through it. And uh, I'm more interested, obviously, to how this stuff projects out to WrestleMania. Becky Lynch and Naomi versus Natalia and Carmella. Um, I mentioned, I think, last week or just sort of proposed that maybe we would end up with like a Becky, Naomi, Charlotte, like babyface three-way at WrestleMania for the title only because um, you see, especially with Becky Lynch, and I know that she's just like a, you know, bread and butter babyface star for them, regardless of whether or not she has the belt, but she's... Uh, but but the camera has been lingering on her, I feel like, over the past month in a way that's just sort of like prepping you for something to happen. Uh, but who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? What do you think is going to come out of this match? Who do you think is going to win, Chilling? Well, we've been getting those lingering camera shots with Sasha Banks and Bailey for the last six months. And yeah. That's still, we're still waiting for that to finally blow off. Um, Becky Lynch could be a great heel under the right circumstances, but it seems to me like she's now the female Dolph Ziggler. And that this. Oh match yeah, is, I just yeah. think that I don't mean that she's going to turn. I just mean that like we've been spending a lot of time with her for someone right. who's not going to be on the WrestleMania card. Yeah, it's 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 it feels like wheel spinning, but you're right. It does seem like there's got to be something for her. I would say that if they're going to do anything, they do a big like six pack challenge and put the money in the bank briefcase on the line because it doesn't seem like Carmella's cashing it in anytime soon. And if I had to put money down, I'd say Oscar is switching brands. And he's going to wrestle Charlotte because it's a bigger match than either of the matches as or either of the brands have at their disposal as of right now. But there's nothing bigger than that for the women mm-hmm. than Charlotte versus Asuka. Mm-hmm. Why not just pull the trigger on that? Asuka's an older wrestler. She's taken a lot of bumps in her career. Get the big money matches out of her while you can. What if they? What if the Undertaker ran in, <laughs> choke slammed them all, and stole the Money in the Bank briefcase, and then somehow was able to use that to get a title shot? You really love intergender violence, don't you? <laughs> I think everybody does, as long as it's fake, right? Yeah, absolutely. In pro wrestling, it's worked. It's never going to happen, I guess. I don't know, Mike. Do you have any thoughts on this one? Uh, more the macro sense. Dave kind of completely stole my comparison of Becky as the female Dolph, and I think. I'm hoping that those lingering camera shots lead to something because they got to pull the trigger on her at some point. Just figure out what you're doing because they risk this momentum burning out. You know, it's they did it with Dolph. Dolph was white hot for longer than he had a right to be white hot with how long they, you know, they kept lingering and lingering and never happened. And then now you don't know what to do. And she's really talented. And at some point you've got to do something with her. So I'm hoping this finally pays off. Can I ask a kayfabe question? If, if Asuka challenges Charlotte for the belt, functionally that makes her a part of the SmackDown roster. But yeah. technically, mm-hmm. does that make her a part of the SmackDown roster? Yeah, you have to switch brands. Then, That's unless you're Cena. Well, yeah, you're, you're <laughs> a free but agent. If, but if you're only doing it for WrestleMania, and then if you lose, you go back to Raw. I guess what my question is, is there some way that like Becky gets traded to Raw because Asuka is coming to SmackDown? I would not be surprised if there is some switching of brands, a, a, a draft or a superstar shakeup after WrestleMania, yeah. because it does feel so imbalanced right now where SmackDown just feels like an empty toy chest. Mm-hmm. And Raw is just filling to the brim with all kinds of trinkets. Well, I mean, we're going to probably have, uh, you know, few, we have many weeks ahead of us to talk about Ronda Rousey's success, and we can talk about her a little bit right now. I, I don't think, I think at this point, they've figured out the best case scenario, the best way to use her at WrestleMania is in this tag team match, her and, and, uh, and 
Kurt Angle versus Stephanie and Triple H. Um, but I don't think the day after WrestleMania, I think if anything's clear, the day after WrestleMania, she's not ready, any more ready to compete for the title than she is right now. Right. I mean, if she were going to be that ready, they would put her in the title match at WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. So I think that we have, I think that the move for Raw is just to kind of go, you know, work rate in the women's division for a little while until as they sort of prep Ronda Rousey to get in there and, and take over the division. Yeah. I mean, what I'd ideally like to see is Nia Jax win the belt at WrestleMania and hold it for oh. quite a while. Mm, just be the build her up as yeah. a heel champion because. What is is super clear to me right now on both sides, well, actually more on the Raw side than on the SmackDown side, is there's a a an overwhelming number of baby faces, characters that just have a knack for getting the 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 audience on their side, yeah, and not enough really strong heels. Uh, I think that's probably true of SmackDown too, because when you look at it, you've got Naomi, you've got Becky, you've got Charlotte, and then after Carmella, I mean, who's really like a truly intimidating presence right yeah. now. Well, I mean, part of that's a gender, you know, just like a gender rules thing too. It's like, we were just, you were just joking about, you know, under, I was joking about the undertaker beating up women, but the, but like, there's not like, you could, you could build a whole episode of raw around the Miz getting punched in the face. And yep. there's just like very few women on the roster who have that kind of, who like you just relish in seeing, seeing them get beat up. Yeah. And I think that the only whole, cause I love the idea of Nia as the, un, you know, unstoppable heel champion of vacuum. I don't know why they haven't pulled the trigger on this either in NXT or the main roster yet. The only question is that, you know, They've had Alexa hold the belt for a while, and she's a different kind of heel. But you talk about a, a heel who people want to get her comeuppance on Raw, it is Alexa. So do you go heel who's had a belt and been on top for a while to another heel, albeit a different style of that? I well, my, my my feeling on Alexa Bliss is, is well documented that as much as she comes off as an effective heel, she's too charming, she's too funny, and she is not physically intimidating and that's why a lot of people cheer her. Mm-hmm. I mean, people cheer the Miz too, but the Miz, there's still something about the Miz that is hateable. And Alexa Bliss to me is is super likable. And I, I don't think that they've had a truly um, hateful and despicable heel champion since Charlotte. And Charlotte was a great heel. Uh, so I think that it, it is time to build someone up in in a strong fashion, physically intimidating fashion like Nia Jax, to build up for either Sasha Banks or Bailey or whoever, Becky Lynch, hypothetically, down the line, or, if this works out, Ronda Rousey versus Nia Jax is a money match at WrestleMania. Yeah. All right, next match uh, on, well, I'm going in reverse chronological Wikipedia order, so this is a sort of ridiculous, I mean, it, it, you know, whatever. blame Wikipedia, not me. Nakamura versus... Rusev, but in English. Um, what? This, this, is what was, this is why I laughed when we talked about Rusev, because they have just botched this whole thing completely. Is there any way Rusev wins? Nope. Oh, Absolutely God, no. not. Um, he seems, he looks upset and sad to be, like, be on television right now. I don't know if that's kayfabe and I'm being worked and it's, you're supposed to feel that way, but he lo- just looks it's, miserable. I mean, that man would make so much money in New Japan. Can you even imagine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Rusev, is that his shoot last name? No. No, it's, it's not. M- I don't know. So he's have to, he'd have to rebrand, so maybe not. I mean, they'd figure it out. His but name yeah. is Miroslav Barnyashev. Yeah, it's not, <laughs> he's not going to be working that. Yeah, it's just, you know, he's just a textbook dude that in a smarter time, you know, WWE would have seen this and realized it was wildfire and jumped on it and pushed him. But 
2018 WWE being what it is, they just let it linger and he's just sitting around and then you finally give him a pay-per-view match and then everybody knows he's losing. It's just, it's so aimless. And how many things are not just, you know, they're organic and they're fun in WWE, but especially on SmackDown. Yeah. SmackDown's not a very fun show right now. No, you need to, you need to, you know, if you've got it, you need to use it. And they just, they don't know what they're doing with them. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it, it reminds me a lot of Daniel Bryan. Uh, specifically, I rewatched WrestleMania 28, and that was where he jobs to Kane um, or no, Sheamus no, to Sheamus yeah. in like 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And through the rest of the show, people are chanting Daniel Bryan. Yeah. And it wasn't until two years later that they gave him the mega push against their will. Uh, and so Rusev now has this thing where people are chanting Rusev Day during matches they don't care about. I'm sorry. We got to move ahead. Jim's yelling in my ear. Before we get off the subject, as much as you love Rusev Day, how excited are you for Nakamura Day? <laughs> it's uh, my favorite holiday next to Kwanzaa. <laughs> um, that's exactly the answer I was looking for. I knew it. Great work. Charlotte Flair versus Ruby Riot uh, with the rest of the Riot squad. Um, what, is there any way that Charlotte loses this? No. I, I gave you my fantasy booking earlier. We were on the phone with Dan. I, I don't think that it makes any sense to put the belt on Ruby Riot, other than they want to legitimize her faster than she's ready to be legitimized. Like, we put the belt on her, and so now she's a serious contender because she's a champion. But that it doesn't work that way in wrestling. It very rarely works where you give someone a belt, and then they become a superstar. I just can't believe that... I, I, would, I mean, I know Vince isn't traveling for SmackDown, or at least not as much as he used to. Um, but of all the stories that you hear about Vince, all the all the impressions that you hear other podcasters do, I just would love to hear what he thinks about Ruby Riot because he <laughs> because he like he hated like CM Punk's look like yeah. how like you think the idea of Ruby Riot would just make his eyes bleed. I don't think he gives a shit. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think he even knows she exists. Maybe not. Um, all right, the Usos versus the New Day for. Um, the tag team cha- I don't. This is. Insane. I could see a title switch here. I was gonna say if there, I think if there's a title switch, this is it. Um, I do buy this whole. There's you know there's been talk for a while that they want to position either the New Day or the Usos or both as you know all time great tag teams, and in their minds that means give them lots of title yeah. reigns. So you know, and since the Usos had all the momentum with this last time, if you're gonna do it again, why do you do it? I mean just to put them over again. Now, the easy answer is because WWE and it doesn't have to make sense, but I I kind of buy that New Day goes over here. You could claim that they're five-time champions. You could do this dance another, I don't know, two or three times over the next nine months. Switch the belts again back and forth, and before you know it, it's, wow, look at the eight-time tag champs Usos and nine-time tag champs New Day, and oh my goodness, we have two of the best tag teams on WWE. You need to watch our product. Yeah, it's like the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express. You just keep running it back. Why not have them switch and then do do another match at, at WrestleMania? I mean, I don't... I feel like the Usos versus the New Day could use more mullets before we start comparing them to the Midnight Express well, and the Rock and Roll Express. I can think of two uh, interesting hairstyles that you could throw into that. Bobby Roode and Randy Orton? The Bludgeon Brothers. Oh, <laughs> we'll probably be involved in that match in, in sort of... That's what we're going segue right there. Yet. You're welcome. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were going for the next segue to the Roode-Orton match. Oh, Orton, Orton chopped his hair off. He's got a little bit back to a little bit of a buzz cut now. Yeah, he dyed his hair too. He did because he had, well, yeah, he had some grays during the whole yep. the whole Bray Wyatt uh, and then the Jinder Mahal feuds. He had gray hair. Wow. Yeah, 
Yeah, there was that photo of Legacy in my Cody store, and I, I focused on Randy for like 10 seconds. I was like, my God, his face looks so much younger. Yeah, it's fascinating to see he, him He age. looks exactly the same, and yet he's aged more than anybody else. It's very strange. You know what's cool? I don't want to linger on Randy Orton too long because this match doesn't excite me at all, but to go from young Randy Orton, who's like thick, like he was a big dude, mm -hmm. yep. and then you see all of a sudden he comes back and he's like this lean snake apex predator guy. Uh -huh. Like there's, I, I can't think of a wrestler whose body changed that much other than Hulk Hogan <laughs> wow. when he went to WCW. <laughs> but I'm not implying anything there with Randy Orton. I'm more just saying that like it's an amazing transformation what he is versus what he started as. So this is a one-on-one -on -one match that will, again, inevitably involve an outside party. Uh, Jinder Mahal has been very much a part of this feud and will continue to be a part, I mean... Uh, Jinder Mahal will be wrestling for the U.S. title at WrestleMania. Yeah, I think so. Whether it's against Rude or Orton or both, I think, is the only question. Yeah, they invested too much time and energy and money into Jinder Mahal to leave him off the card. Yeah, and I, I can't see it. You know, I, it's probably both. It's both or it's Rude. They're not going to run back uh, Randy and Jinder again for a lesser belt. I, I don't think that's the move. Yeah. yeah. Um, Even both, though Orton has never been U.S. champion, yeah, like that's a nice little. I mean, I was going to say subtle storyline. They keep booming it on the, you know, from the announce desk over and over again. But, um, and it's funny, like I or Orton versus Gender, uh, like for the when they when they were brawling on on Tuesday night, I, it 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 felt right to me. Like I don't like as much as it seemed like sort of a joke of a main event, you know, of a WWE title feud. Um, I I kind of like the way that they're that they're you know giving some legitimacy to the U.S. title division. Um, we got to move on to the main event. AJ Styles, John Cena, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, Baron Corbin, Dolph Ziggler, and a partridge Ooh, in a pear tree. So who many is, names. Who is going to win this match? Michael, let you go first. Uh, AJ. Yeah. I think AJ goes over. To me, the interesting thing is what, and to me, this has been the most interesting thing on SmackDown for a while, is, you know, what, what comes of the Sammy Kevin Owens dynamic in this match? Does one cost the other something? I feel like there's a decent chance of that. Um, but the WrestleMania clog card is starting to get really clogged. Is there space for a blow off there? Do I think they... I said the same thing the other week. If they if those two guys feud, then like how far down the card is that necessarily going to be? Even if they even if they you know I mean these two guys could have the match of the year. Yeah. Well, let's talk about last year's WrestleMania. Arguably, the hottest angle going into WrestleMania was Chris Jericho versus Kevin yeah. Owens. They mm -hmm. couldn't have booked it better. They they run the the festival of friendship angle, and it just it's like I felt like a child watching the barbershop window incident again. It's like wow, I, that really got me on a on a, a gut kayfabe level. And that was the second sh uh, match on the card. The second match. We should just we we should have just like done a work for this segment and just been like, and they didn't even have a match at WrestleMania. <laughs> you <laughs> could have said like, that. And how some many people? How many like, people are just like, really? I don't. You know what? I bet they're. I bet it's true. Yeah. They just they blew it off on Raw. Yeah. Remember Backlash? That great first match between the two of them. Uh, it's it's. WrestleMania is too big. We've said this a million times. You want it to be two nights. I want it to not be two nights. I want it to be shorter. It's it's to the point where there's so many matches that could be main events on this card that something is going to get shortchanged. Some people are not going to be on the show, and it's going to frustrate all of us. It's too much of a good thing. WrestleMania well, is too much of a good thing. It seems like an it seems like it's unnecessary to break these two up, even though this is their WrestleMania match. This is their WrestleMania moment to 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 go to have such a, an important 
mo- like to have to have this friendship b- break up and have it blow off or begin to blow off because it'll inevitably ten- be eight pay per views. Um, if they're not gonna put it, you know, in the last quarter of the card or last third of the card, it's just like save it. Yeah. I agree with that, but then. What's the alternative? Are you going to put them in the Battle Royal? Are you not going to put two of your, what, four or five best wrestlers on the show? What do you do with them if they don't do it now? You could have them tag against, you know, Dolphin Corbin or something. Like, I don't even know. <laughs> that, that, that strikes me as something that is going to make Kevin Owens wonder why he's not living Cody Rhodes' life. Yeah, or just put him in a you know a ladder match for the U.S. title or two. Some, you know, at some point, there's diminishing returns on all this stuff. Yeah. Kevin Owens is getting to a point where I feel like he is hitting a ceiling in WWE. Like he's not quite there, but you can see him approaching it. Mm-hmm. And it worries me because he had an amazing feud last year with Chris Jericho. He was a universal champion. And now he's just in this like morass of nothingness. What happens to Kevin Owens next year? Yeah. Does it get worse? I mean, it I would. Could. I would. Yeah. The problem with, I mean, with SmackDown, and, and they've had a great show over the past year, but the, but I was, you know, I was, uh, you know, all in all a fan of the Jinder Mahal title run. But what, what was really effective about it was that it, you know, he would, cha- guys would come up to challenge him, but then the, the the real business was going on right below the main event, right? And you could with find, like Shane you could McMahon organize. And Kevin Owens. Yeah. They're, but, they're, but just all of those, all of these guys, Dolph and AJ and everything, you know, that they were right below the main event. And, it made a little bit more sense with that structure that you kind of had to like elevate yourself to get into, to get into the WWE title picture. Now with a- when when AJ got the belt back, sort of like everybody else floated to the top with him, and there's no clear delineation, which makes it really hard for someone like Kevin Owens to stand out. Yeah, um, but I agree. I think that we'll have another shakeup soon, and I think that you know there will be. I mean, maybe maybe this is the time when Owens and Zayn fight. You know, have their feud, and then they split them up. You know, for a year so they can do some different stuff. But who knows? I, I go ahead. I was just gonna say. I mean, I'm I'm on the KO train big time. I think there may be only one or two dudes who are better pure main eventers than him. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I hope that what you're foreseeing doesn't come to pass because it would be a waste. And the combination of what he does in the ring with the fact that he sells a main main event program, he keeps things fresh. I mean, that's the dude that at some point you've got to put a title on, uh, in yep. the title on. Yeah, and. I don't know. I, I really am hoping the one version of him and Sammy they haven't done, and I really hope it happens someday, is the very complicated Steen Generico dynamic of we're tag team partners and I'm not sure if we like each other or we don't. It's the old Raven Tommy yeah, Dreamer yeah. Mm-hmm. dynamic. And I've always it's one of my favorite things when it's done right. And they're the only guys I could see really pulling it off in WWE if given the latitude. So at some point, I think they have to break up, feud again, do their own thing before they ever come back together. So we're talking about maybe a year and a half, two years down the road. But I do hope we get that at some point of these sort of, you know, allies with a lot of history who understand each other but don't understand each other and get a real tag run out of that. Yeah, I think I think as much as we're talking about Kevin Owens, this is a sign that this match doesn't matter. And then yeah. we're just like biding our time. But the one thing that I, I feel like will definitely get Kevin Owens to where he needs to be is a sustained babyface run. Mm-hmm. I think it's time to let him be Stone Cold Steve Austin or you know some sort of like anti-hero yeah. babyface because the shtick right now is great, but we've seen it too much. My only concern is that they had two opportunities to do this in the last few years where they had momentum. One was Ambrose. Yep. The other was Braun. They didn't pay it off with Ambrose. I don't know if they're going to pay it off with Braun. And so I completely agree with you. In a, in a better world, that's what they need to do. 
But if you put him there, then he just he might end up being stalled out anyways because yeah. they, they the time to put the belt on Braun was that one on one match with Lesnar the pay per view yeah. that should have been it, and a smarter WWE would say you know what we know what I know what our WrestleMania plans are so let's throw that out the window because this is what the fans want let's ride this while the money is there. And I just don't know if you can dependently trust them to do anything to pay off a big Kevin Owens babyface run, even though I agree with you that he would slay it and do an amazing job. Yeah. Yeah, when they did it in Ring of Honor, it didn't it, it, it didn't quite hit. I mean, I know there was some behind-the-scenes stuff and, like, there was actual tension between him and Cornette. And that, but, like, it 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 was really it, – it got a good pop, but it, I, don't, it, I don't think it had the legs that they were hoping for. I mean, if you put him against Roman – you know it'd work. It wouldn't yeah. work in the way WWE would want it to work, which right. is Roman getting booed. But my God, if there's ever a person to challenge Roman when Roman gets the belt at Mania and he needs a few to burn for a while, you know, the corporate creation who looks the part but nobody likes versus the guy who everybody said didn't have the body to do it and everybody loves. It's Rock versus Mankind all over again. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be awesome. Yeah, you're right. We fantasy, we fantasy booked ourselves uh, into a corner. Yes, here. hello, Road Dog. <laughs> Dave Schilling. I have an idea for you. We got to get out of here. Um, Jim has uh, sublet the studio. Uh, <laughs> no, this is where Jim lives now. He's got a date coming over. <laughs> yeah. Mike, thank you so much for coming by. Thanks yeah, for having thanks, me. Man. You can check out the uh, you can check out his Cody Rhodes piece on theRinger.com. Also, uh, what's your Twitter account? At Mike Likes Sports. All uh, one word, so you don't have to spell my crazy Italian last name. There you go. Yeah. Um, it's not just a Twitter handle. It's also a fact. Schilling, you got anything to plug? My t-shirts on ProWrestlingTees.com uh, and at Dave underscore Schilling on Twitter. I'm at David Shoemaker. Um, enjoy Fastlane, the greatest pay-per-view maybe of all time. This might be the last Fastlane ever because they're cutting back the number of pay-per-views. Oh, yeah. So let's like, let's, let's move pour one out for Fastlane. Yeah. <laughs> what do you say? Moving to slow lane. Slow lane. <laughs> HOB uh, lane. That's how it feels. Uh, but enjoy it. WrestleMania is around the corner. Apologies to Dean Ambrose. We'll see you back here next week, human rights. We are desperately out of time. The tape machines are rolling. We'll see you next week on the Mass Man Show. The Yeti. Oh.